Welcome to One Weird Trick, a podcast giving advice for better living. Your hosts, Aaron and Cecily, have zero legal, medical, or psychological qualifications to give advice. Please consider any advice you receive from them as being from well-meaning, but human and imperfect friends. Please consult actual professionals for any serious legal, medical, or mental help you may need. And now, here's Cecily and Aaron. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to One Weird Trick. We are the show where we share tips and tricks, often weird ones, to make your life better, easier, and more fun. I'm one of the hosts, Aaron. And I'm the other host, Cecily. And I think we got a great show for you today. I'm going to be playing the part of your dad, and we're going to be sitting down and having a serious talk about personal responsibility. Okay. After that, Cecily's going to help us to ask the right questions, such as, what are the right questions? <laughs> Then we're going to consider some feedback people have sent in to OWT at SwizzBolt.com to our mailbag there. Who knows what kind of wonderful weird tricks we'll find there. First off, though, I want to talk about uh, personal versus collective responsibility. You know, one of the biggest divides I see between the people on the left and people on the right in this country is conservatives tend to say that things happen because of people's choices. And that they and they alone bear the responsibility for those choices. Whereas others might say a person's only partially responsible for their actions because who their parents are and where they live and what economic resources they have, what educational opportunities, all those things have a much, much greater impact on the totality of your life than your just personal choices. Now, obviously, if you've listened to any of my podcasting over on Three Right Turns, I definitely favored a latter way of thinking about and looking at the world. But does that mean that our individual choices don't matter? No, because there's several reasons for that. The most important one for me is that while I might want to live in that world where people collectively pool together their resources to help everyone live a life of dignity and possibilities, I look around and the real world just doesn't match up to that expectation. There's often no one watching over us and waiting to give us the help that we might desperately need. In America, especially, a lot of things are structured around this concept of rugged individualism that we idealize. All you know, It comes from our, our nation's frontier conquering past, or at least our concept of that. Um, it's, it's much more based on that than helping people maximize their potential and happiness, right? Right. So, Such as wearing masks. It's just like, <laughs> yes. Um, so in researching... The latest episode of Three Right Turns, um, I was investigating the reasons why Democrats as a party had lost support of many minority groups in, in America, despite Donald Trump being, you know, objectively terrible for everyone, let alone minorities. And I came across I, I, and, and to do that, I read a lot of uh, conservative minority voices. And one of the things I came across consistently in the articles and the videos that they'd made is that they are just really tired of being seen as victims. You know, we're tired of being described as needing handouts. We're tired of this mentality that's that's gotten into uh, our group holding us back. We can take care of ourselves. And I know this because as a conservative minority from an extremely underprivileged background, I have succeeded despite everyone telling me that I cannot. So. A lot of these people do come from backgrounds of crushing poverty. Uh, when I was, you know, reading their stories, it's it's very a lot of them was very inspiring. Some of them come from areas that are well known for showing open hostility to their particular demographic. Some of these people overcame extreme health issues or 
um, had to overcome emotional, mental, physical disabilities that were holding them back. Now, you may or may not know, but I used to be a conservative, and I think that there is something inspiring and even heroic about the way these people have succeeded despite everything stacked against them. You know, as Donald Glover so eloquently pointed out, this is America. (laughs) It's hard to succeed, especially if you start off with any kind of disadvantage. Having said that, the flaw in that particular form of the argument that a disadvantaged conservative make is usually the core corollary. You know, the I made it despite all this. Therefore, if I can do it with my background, then anyone can do it and should do it. And if anyone can do it, then then they should. And if anyone doesn't, then it core then then it must mean they made bad individual life choices and mistakes. Therefore, it's their fault they can't succeed. Now we're back to the shitty side of this individual life choices. You know, fuck them. I got mine. Mm-hmm. But the shitty side of the collective responsibility argument is I don't have what it takes to succeed, so why do I even try? If I'm going to be victimized at every turn in society, why even participate in it? The flaw in that viewpoint is, I think it should be obvious, if you refuse to play a rigged game, you guarantee failure. Um, And that's an understandable human reaction to give up, just like it's an understandable human reaction to succeed and think, why can't everyone else do it, right? Is there some kind of middle path? Here's my one weird trick. I think we should work as a society to collectively ensure a fair, just, and equitable place to live in our communities. But we should live our lives as individuals as if that help is never going to come. To put it in three right turns terms, I think we should plan and build towards a Star Trek utopia, but we should recognize that we're living in this Mad Max world. Mm -hmm. It's much more Mad Max than Star Trek. So where I'm going at kind of builds on this uh, parable that we often use about the oxygen masks. You know, mm-hmm. the plane loses uh, pressure, oxygen mask descends. What are you supposed to do? You put on your own air mask first because you're not going to do any good if you pass out trying to help everyone around you. And then you've you know made it even a bigger problem that people have to solve, right? Mm-hmm. What if the plane only had enough masks for three out of four people to use them? You know, you now have a choice. You can either go down fuming, pissed off at society for failing to provide enough oxygen mask on these planes, or you can fight for your fucking mask. You can fume about the fundamental unfairness of the supply of oxygen masks to the ratio of people, but it's not going to put air in your lungs, you know. But if you do manage as an individual to fight for one of those precious oxygen masks, When you land, you know, are you going to be the person that says, well, my individual will to survive is amazing. Anyone could have done it. The people who died in the airplane were just lazy, weak, not willing to work. Or are you going to say, we're going to find the bastards responsible for shorting us these oxygen masks. We're going to hold them responsible. We're going to make sure all future flights have an oxygen mask for everyone aboard and maybe even a 10% safety margin for good measure. And, you know, the other thing is no one says that once you fight for your mask, you have to hoard it to yourself. Maybe you can buddy breathe with the person next to you. You know, um, to help that passenger out. But if you don't fight and a bunch of selfish assholes take over all the masks, that choice is gone forever. And more people, including yourself, are going to suffer. So in conclusion, I actually like, admire and encourage everyone to make individually conservative choices. Live within your means. Don't abuse alcohol and drugs. Don't take unnecessary risks. Keep your word. Meet your obligations. Take care of yourself and your family. Stay in school. Work hard. Go above and beyond. Persevere in the face of hostility. All that corny shit you hear and roll your eyes at. But you know what? 
it's the survivor's manual for hell world. And it's not going to work every time because the fact is we don't have enough oxygen masks. But it's the only thing that will work for you as an individual. But you have to keep the fight. You have to keep fighting. That's my weird trick. Vote and organize like a Captain Picard, but live like you're Mad Max. Cecily. All right. Very good. Thank you for sharing that. What are what are the right questions? I can't wait to see the feedback I get on that. I, <laughs> I, I imagine I imagine there's there's many flaws in this hastily assembled argument of mine. But something is a one weird trick. I want I want to try it out. Hey, we have a disclaimer up front. This is we're not experts. We're just we're just saying how we feel, man. Shooting from the hip. <laughs> pew, pew. Uh, what right, what so- are the right questions, Cecily? Uh, it's not exactly the right questions, but my idea, my weird trick is just to ask them. So, okay, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn when I say that you and I both have this tendency to mishear things or even misread things like texts and emails. And sometimes you have an emotional reaction when you're not quite sure where the other person's coming from. You know, we hear these things and our brains just extrapolate the information Good or bad, our brains are, aren't always on our side. And sometimes you hear what you want to hear, whether it's praise out of our sarcastic comment or it's criticism and in an innocent comment. You know, for example, did you put paprika in this? Uh, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> you know, you could hear that as just a question of curiosity or you could hear this person fucking hates paprika and they're trying to make you feel very bad in a passive aggressive way with their judgmental comment so something that i've been playing around with lately is asking follow-up questions before i can allow my brain or heart or whatever it is that puts you in that emotional place ask the follow-up questions you know this can set that passive aggressive person back on their heels or it can help you get greater clarity on the intention follow up with do you like paprika? The person can say, yes, it really sets this dish apart. Or, no, I've never really been a fan. Either way, you're both now on the same page about the intention and what's happening there. Try to remember their preference in the future if it matters to you, because it's not like you're going to remake the dish now. This approach of asking the right questions is particularly effective when someone is not coming from a good place and you know it. Your boss says, you know, you'd really make a great phone sex operator. And everyone laughs. You know, instead of laughing and playing it off, ask, why was that funny? And, you know, when someone is being offensive, sometimes requiring them to explain themselves makes it very clear that it's inappropriate. Mm. Same goes for someone who's trying to poke fun at you. You know, if someone says something like, wow, that's not a fashion choice I would have made. (laughs) Follow up with... Are you saying that to hurt me? <laughs> their explanation or even being forced to confront their cruelty and inappropriateness can one, stop that behavior from happening in the future because they'll think twice about making jokes. And two, opens up greater lines of communication between the two of you. I find that this is particularly helpful for relationships that you'd very much like to maintain. You know, your everyday bully or abuser is obviously trying to hurt you. So, Having them confront their own cruelty isn't a problem for them. Yeah, I've seen people like 
uh, on Reddit when I've seen like advice like this say things like, oh, I'd love to see you try that at X, Y. I'm like, this, this isn't for stuff where you're dealing with a person, a drunk person on the sidewalk. Yeah. It's in a place where there's a stakes to the relationship. Someone that cares for you or is in some kind of relationship with you. Or a coworker. A co- yeah, yeah, like that kind of thing, you know, where there's... You know, there's stakes right. that they can't just be like, well, yeah, I'm trying to hurt you, dumbass. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, obviously it's not. This isn't like a, an insult manual to shut down a schoolyard bully. No. Um, you know, with these questions, you should want to come from a neutral place. If there's too much emotion behind it, then it can sometimes create dishonesty or appeasement. You know, if that person says, I cannot believe you put paprika in this. Why would you want to hurt me like that? That's not a healthy question that's going to lead to anything good because you're going to want to say, you know, I didn't know. And, you know, you're going to make up some things to make that person feel better in the moment. It's emotionally charged and it's really hard to see eye to eye like that. When you're in a work or a school setting, uh, questions can be crucial. I spent I spent a lot of time wrestling with this one. I want to be an impressive person, so I'm going to pretend like I know everything and exactly what I'm doing when I'm tasked with something. But, you know, it's not human. It's really not impressive when you show up with shoddy work because you can swallow your pride. For me, I think it's impressive to ask the right questions because the kinds of questions you ask display the knowledge you possess. Asking for specific specific details about the task, the timeline, what's being asked, where you can find information, stuff like that is impressive to the people who are tasking you with things. So this weird trick shouldn't be interpreted as asking for the sake of asking like a two-year-old, why, 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 why? You know, keep your, spe- your questions specific to the point and leave out the emotion. See where that gets you as you try to be the most effective, open communicator that you can be. But, you know, the most important thing here is, who doesn't like paprika? (laughs) (laughs) There's got to be somebody, right? Maybe. Maybe smoked paprika. Do you have a preference (sighs) on... I can't tell the difference. Really? I can tell the difference. Really? I've been using smoked paprika on the deviled eggs lately, and it's just like chef's kiss yeah you could taste that smoke mm-hmm. all right well i'll have to do a blind test i get this other i also can't really describe what paprika tastes like hmm. it's spicy yeah when you use it <laughs> but it's not spicy like a jalapeno no it's spicy you say, yeah like it's obvious like if you use uh, no know. it's like saying the chicken tastes like chicken to someone that's never tasted chicken before you know it's like no. uh uh, you know, like if you describe like alligators tasting like a chicken, and like, well, what's chicken taste like? So it's pe- paprika tastes spicy. What, like, like a jalapeno? No, like, like thyme? No, like, yeah. What, what is it That's like? Fair. But Did I guess you... what's thyme like? What's what's a jalapeno like? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're s- both spicy, right? <laughs> what's 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 tasty wheat taste like? You know, the, just, the machines just... in the simulation even know? I don't. No, yeah, do a blind smell test. Just like smell both the bottles, you'll tell the difference. Yeah, that's that's all I've got on asking the right questions. Now, Aaron, I've got a really important question for you. Oh, yeah? Do we have any feedback? Oh, boy. Oh, boy, do we ever. Uh, this is a great transition. Excellent use of questions Thank into you. a transition to our weird trick segment where we uh, ask and solicit for advice. If you would like to get into this fun and freewheeling exchange of ideas, send us a message at OWT at com, and we will consider it for a future one weird trick. 
I'd like to point out that uh, when you email us, we keep all of your emails confidential and we will anonymize your name unless you specifically say that we should not do that. Uh, you can suggest a pseudonym if you'd like. Uh, we'll come up with one for you if you do not. Um, first up, Noisy Neighbor. I've been living in my current home for about eight months now, and shortly after we moved in, a family moved into one of the other flats. Since the lockdown, this is starting to sound British. <laughs> British as hell. British. British. Can you do it in a British accent? I just tried. It was not good. <laughs> it was not good. That was the wrong question to ask us. <laughs> Since the lockdown started, the kids in the other flat were at home more often. The child has been playing more online games during the day. The issue here is the child is not quiet about it. They shout, scream, swear, kick the radiators, pipes, walls, what sounds like a wooden desk or door. Jeez. We can hear them clearly every time they do this. And even though they've gone back to school now every day, just uh, after three in the afternoon until very late some days, the noise continues. Ugh. The problem I have here is this. I don't know which flat they live in. My Hmm. block is split into three floors with two flats per floor. I'm on the top floor, but the sounds are so loud, they make it like they are coming from every direction from me. Wow, that's that's wild. Yeah. My hearing's not the best, which makes the volume of noise even more surprising. Lordy. This means that they could be my neighbors onto the side or below as both families moved at the same time and both have young boys. Maybe it's both at the same time. Oh, my God. (laughs) Worst case scenario. Uh, Baga Sports and Beans. <laughs> <laughs> was, that, was that the name of the, the uh, three nasty farmers? From... Bunsen. No, not Bunsen. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so making a fantastic Fox reference for no good reason. Uh, my final issue is that both me and my partner suffer from very bad social anxiety and face-to-face confrontation or conversation will not be an option for either of us as we're simply incapable of it. Mm. Oh, man. How can I address this issue without offending the wrong flat and without sparking any verbal or in-person confrontation with the family in question? I know this is a lot to take in and some pretty bad restrictions, but any advice would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, First of all, you know, it is COVID time. So face-to-face confrontation isn't a great idea to begin with. And secondly, like, what do they say? This kid is kicking, screaming, swearing, and banging on things like I, I, I'm willing to bet the parents already know. Yeah. And they're not willing to curb that behavior already. Yeah. So, yeah. Face to face confrontation doesn't seem like a good idea. Maybe like write your comp your, your complex or your leasing manager, whoever, and ask them to send out like your a general. Lord. I think they call that flat England. lords. <laughs> flat lords. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Send your flat lord an email or something and just. Maybe they'll send out like a, a general communique to everyone in the building. Like, can you keep it down? We're trying to work. Uh, hopefully. It's just, I mean, that's the thing you you hit the nail on the head. Um, anyone can have a bad day. But when you have like a long repeated stretch of behavior, I mean, I guess it's possible that the parents don't think that the, you know, that the maybe they think everyone's house is this chaotic and noisy and surely if the insulation was this bad we would hear it and they think that you know this isn't leaking outside their apartment you know because it's so loud inside yeah yeah uh, or they've gotten like you know it's kind of like uh, if you've ever had uh we had this situation like last week um uh, we'd run out of cat litter cat box got pretty stinky um but you only really smelled it when you came back after being gone from the house for an hour or two yeah like, you can just get used to it yeah like that's our brain's abilities like anytime you have any kind of noxious uh stimulus in terms of noise or smells 
uh, or, or taste. Like, you know, if you ever eaten a bowl of ice cream and halfway through, like, I don't even taste this shit anymore. Yeah. Like, it's just like these same sensory just kind of like all get swell stats. It's possible that maybe they're just very young parents that are in over their heads and they, they, they it really would be mortifying to know that this is, this is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I feel like the the key thing here is this reminds me of like f- advice about like I want to break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend, but I don't want to hurt their feelings. Is there any advice that you have? No, there's no advice. Um, if you want the noise and the noxious behavior to stop and it's highly likely these people know that they're being obnoxious and they don't care, um, but you don't want to offend your flatmates, those are mutually incompatible you know, like I want to take my neighbor's land, but I don't want to go to war. Like <laughs> you can't do it. You can't yeah. do it. Um, so you could ask, hey, neighbor, could I have more land? They're unlikely to say, yeah, sure, buddy. That's OK. Then you're going to fight the war for it. Or are you going to like, well, I guess I can't have that land. Um, I will say that if you really like this, look, I mean, the, the best way to deal with shitty neighbors is move. Uh, but if you can't do that and you can't get the flat lords or the police involved, uh, the best and, and you're, and you're unwilling to move. Um, the good news is you can do a lot to abate noise problems. Yeah. Like soundproofing your walls and things like that. Is that what you mean? You can invest in soundproofing your walls, hanging up thick drapes and and curtains Mm -hmm. and like tapestries. Get some really noise, nice, like noise canceling headphones that isolate the sounds. Maybe if you're on a phone call, it doesn't pick up as much. Yeah. Uh, if you like have hardwood floors, you can consider getting some rugs, stuff that's like going to, um, if you, and if you can further isolate, if it's a coming to the side, mm-hmm. like something that uh, Jim and I did to soundproof one of his apartment walls is we actually built a false wall and filled it full of like thick, thick density foam, which cut down quite a lot of the decibels that were coming through. Um, so, like, unfortunately, I think it's an impossible thing to say, I want to solve this problem. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And this goes back to kind of like my little mini monologue. Um, you also have a lot of things that are working against you from doing this comfortably and easy. You know, if you already have social anxiety, the idea of confronting an asocial <laughs> maniac that's yeah. got crazy kids screaming and yelling and banging on radiators and stuff is probably an impossible task. So that's why, yeah, I think Cecily is on the right to get the flat lords involved. Um you know, if, if 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 it was a person that didn't have the anxiety, I'd say, hey, go and try to talk to your neighbors. It's never a bad thing, you know. Um, and 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 suggest strategies in which you could de-escalate or approach it. Of as, as, but uh, honestly, this is it's like if someone if your neighbor set off fireworks at three o'clock in the morning outside your window. Yeah, like you're already past the whole like maybe I should have a conversation to see if they know they're being obnoxious, like the reasonable approach of like, Oh, maybe you didn't know that soundtrack, like that's probably gone. Yeah. I, um, it was a personal anecdote. I used to live above a man years ago. It was just the man I really ever saw. And we were right above him and, you know, we didn't make a lot of noise. We just lived our life with thin, thin ass walls and floors. But sometimes I would go like up and down the stairs and heels and he would come out and scream at me. And I'm like, I'm not like walking up and down the stairs over and over. I just went down once and you have to come out and confront me about this. Mm-hmm. Or like one time it was raining and I you do stomp around to be fair. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, it's, sometimes it's just like apartment living and it wasn't like I was doing shit like that every day. So 
you know, uh, the other yeah. thing is if you're if you are gleaning some advice from this in a similar situation, pick your battles. Yeah. You know, if, for these people, it's every day. But, you know, if you've got a noisy neighbor and it's just every once in a while you hear them, pick your battles. Yeah, for sure. All right. Our next advice is from Try Try Again. And they say, I feel like I can never have fun with new hobbies because I'm worried about not being good. Recently, I picked up guitar and I've been enjoying it every. Oh, I'm sorry. Recently, I picked up a guitar and I've been enjoying everything, but then I lose my motivation when I remember how long I have to go to do to be good. I feel like I constantly have to prove myself to someone and that I will never earn the title of guitar player or fit in with that crowd. That's just one example, but it happens in other areas of my life that are supposed to be fun. I guess maybe it's my anxiety speaking, but I've never really heard of someone feeling this way about things. I'd love to kick this habit so I can focus more on having fun with a healthy dose of learning that isn't obsessive. Um, I feel like this, that, that one, you know, when we we're going through social skills, um, I said one thing to kind of like trick yourself into short circuiting this like, oh, I'm just art. I'm not good at social skills. I'll never be good at social skills is like, don't set the goal to be like witty and charming and fun. Set the goal to be I'm going to go out and make eye contact with somebody or I'm going to go out and have exchange just a pleasant greeting with no expectation. It's going to go anywhere like can you change the dis- the the framing from like I want to get good at playing guitar to I'm I want to practice playing guitar. I just want to practice playing guitar. And if that is not enjoyable just the messing around and practicing on the guitar then you know maybe you don't actually like playing guitar because everyone wants to be a rock star, right? But does everyone want to do the Brian Adams play into your fingers bled? <laughs> yeah. Because as a person who, you know, picked up a guitar for about a year or two and got like almost, almost passable, like I was about to make that leap and then a whole bunch of shit happened. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, mm-hmm. consistent effort, you know, 15, 20 minutes a day. If, if you really want to make rapid progress, hours a day. It's like why teenagers get so disgustingly good at guitar in such a short amount of time <laughs> right. or video games or anything. Yeah. They got all this free time. So just try to like. You know, if, if the goal, if, if, if you want to get good, if you want to play guitar, then then your goal should be, I just want to practice playing the guitar every day with no objective other than to that. And then you'll probably get good if you keep following that goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I myself, if I'm going to use this exact same uh, example here, I have a guitar, I have a ukulele, and I just bought another instrument, the kalimba, this thumb piano thing. And... I think the goal for me on all of those things is just have fun. And sometimes you, you know, you have to put in a lot of practice to get disgustingly good, like Aaron said. But sometimes you just have to spend enough time to figure out whether or not it's something you're really interested in. And, you know, the only way to really figure it out is to try it. You can only figure out if you like this food if you try it. So, yeah, just... I mean, unless you actually want this to be your career, and I don't think that's what you want, then, yeah, just do it to have fun. And you don't have to fit in exactly with that crowd because you can just go to that crowd and be like, hey, I'm interested in this thing and I've been trying it out myself. And, you know, usually people are really, really uh, forthcoming with like tips and tricks and advice and 
you know, they love to have someone joining their crowd, even though they can't keep up and have the exact same skill. Um, yeah, same goes for like video games and cooking and stuff like that. As far as personal hobbies go, they have to be something that you enjoy just spending a little bit of time with. And if it becomes frustrating, then it sounds like that's something that maybe you don't actually want to do. But, you know, the one thing that will definitely always hold you back is comparing yourselves to others. Mm -hmm. Um, Said something like, I've never heard of this happening to other people before. It happens to all of us, Mm -hmm. I think. Even that, uh, who's a famous guitar player, Slash. Mm. Slash probably felt this way when he first picked up the guitar. You know <laughs> what I mean? All the guitar players, Slash. Slash is the one we go we go with. What? I think it's, it's just funny. You already use Brian Adams. That's true. The only other one. <laughs> Fame guitar player, Brian Adams. All right, Tom Adams. Morello. Tom Morello probably <laughs> wasn't as eloquent or as good as he was now before he got into political science and guitar oh, you like playing. guitars? Name three guitarists. <laughs> <laughs> and Brian Adams doesn't count because I named him. Uh, 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 yeah, that's it. That's all I've got. <laughs> Fake guitar girl. Fuck. All right. I'm going to quit the guitar now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I feel like because I, I often felt that my like I had hobbies where like I had some kind of like built in skill that I was good at. And I had hobbies that uh like I just happen to pick it up and be good at, you know, you get like the 90% without much effort. And those are the ones that I kind of gravitated towards. And as I got older, I realized I was really limiting myself. Like most people aren't naturally good at the first few things they try out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or they want to do something. It takes practice and effort. And um, those, that's really uncomfortable, man. It mm-hmm. really feels like sometimes it really feels um, when you're learning new things. I don't know if this is something everyone can, but like the idea that your mind, your brain's grinding its gears or it's like in the same way your muscles get tired. I feel yeah. like your brain kind of feels yeah. like it's weirdly stretching. Um, but, you know, just like you can get like, uh, you know, runners eventually take like they, they or people that exercise a lot. I can't. I can't relate, but they, they talk about how it, make, it makes it feel good. They associate that kind of soreness and like moving around and that tiredness with like good, happy feelings. I think you can do the same thing about learning new stuff, too. Yeah. Um, but there again, learning something that takes practice and skill as well. Yeah. When you're running and your nipples get chafed and bleeding or sure. if you're playing the guitar and your fingers are chafed and bleeding, then. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only sign that you're really going to get good at something unless you bleed. Ran up <laughs> till bleed. my nipples bled. <laughs> was the marathon of 69. <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. All right. We have one more email, I think. Yes. It's an update from Shum. Ooh. It's been about a year. Guess what? This has been a this year. This is our one year anniversary. I, that's, I, I meant, man, I meant to make a bigger deal. I, and I, I fucked it up <laughs> on three right turns. And we almost, thanks to Shum, we didn't fuck it up on one weird trick. Not it yet. is our one year anniversary. Mm-hmm. So, amazing. Um. I wanted to write, or I, it's been about a year since I wrote in about my faith crisis on the very first episode of One Weird Trick. <laughs> I wanted to give an update and talk a little bit about my spiritual and political journey over the last half year with Swizz Bowl. That's the last year, not the last half year. I'm sorry, but the last year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> see, what do we say about reading things wrong and hearing things wrong? <laughs> yeah. 
Just to recap, last year I was having trouble reconciling my political and religious beliefs and asked Aaron if he had any relevant experience as an ex-Jehovah's Witness that might be helpful. Aaron recommended doing a little, uh, some research and mentioned the CES letter as a possible place to start. In hindsight, it's a little embarrassing that I didn't do any personal research before research, research, research before this, especially considering I had had serious doubts for years before reaching this point. Man, I knew about like the because I think I record I talked about crisis of conscience, which was kind of the JW version of the CES mm-hmm. letter. I knew about that thing's existence for ten years before I finally read it. Like it's literally dangerous knowledge. It's a perfectly human. <laughs> it's a perfectly human reaction to like put that kind of stuff off as long as you can. Mm-hmm. And it takes. It actually takes a lot of strengthening your courage muscles to to ask the questions you're asking. So don't mm-hmm. let that don't let that uh, make you feel bad. Um, but I think I was happy to stay in that middle ground for a while where I didn't have to commit to either way. After listening to the one weird trick episode, I decided to check the CES letter out and the effect was pretty immediate and dramatic. In the ex-Mormon community, it's often referred to as the shelf-breaking moment when all the doubts and logical inconsistencies have been weighing on you finally get too heavy and your belief in the church finally breaks. I forget what the witness, what how we refer to the crisis of conscious book, but it's similar terms. Like, you know, it's like, do you want to... Do you want to uh, destroy your faith in the capital T truth in 24 hours? Mm -hmm. Read this book, you know. Um, After years of mental gymnastics and increasingly thin justifications, you realize that the simplest explanation is it's all made up. My immediate reaction was a profound sense of loss and despair. Man, I can so relate. The comfort of a loving Heavenly Father who is looking out for me was gone. The possibility of being married in the temple and having a family I could be with for eternity and the promise of an eternal reward filled with joy and happiness, gone. It was just me in an infinite, uncaring universe, and I cried myself to sleep that, that night. Oh, oh my I'm God. so sorry. It's uh, a hard change. Yeah, I feel for you. It is like Neo in the Matrix, man. Like, it's like... <laughs> Morpheus like I didn't say this shit's going to be easy I didn't say it's going to be the truth you know <laughs> yeah. you got to build up your mis- muscles your eyes don't work your kind of your your body's kind of gross and busted up there's plugs all over we're eating gruel you know but it's the real world yeah um the next day I did my due due diligence and read some rebuttals to the CES letter <sighs> got Thank Can we you. give a hand to to a person that's showing some intellectual rigor and, and honesty in their life? Yeah, Shem, good for you. Hot damn. Uh, then I read the rebuttal to those rebuttals, but I was basically just confirming what I already know. Going down those dialogue trees, it's, it's, you got to do it. I've been lied to for most of my life in a lot of ways. I'd wasted the last 15 or 20 years on a bunch of made-up shit. On top of that, all the anxiety and depression I'd felt throughout my life could be directly attributed to the impossible standards of perfection set forth in a church. After I got over those initial feelings of loss and anger, I felt a sense of freedom and unlimited possibilities for my future that I had never felt before. So much of my life had been mapped out for me, but it's all gone. I could do and be whatever I wanted. I also felt a renewed desire for truth and knowledge. Up to that point, I had struck a very careful balance between faith and science, and now there's no reason to wait for God to reveal his truths to me. I want to know something, and I could just look it up online. Around this time, Jim recommended Carl Sagan's book, The Demon Haunted World, during a lunch podcast, and it was exactly what I needed. After all, no one can capture the wonder of science and the joy of discovery quite like Carl Sagan. Hmm. 
Around the time of Trump's impeachment hearings, I started emailing back and forth with my dad about politics, and I found immense satisfaction in researching my political positions and being vindicated again and again by expert consensus. It turns out that Aaron and other bald movers on the forums were basing their political positions on actual data and research. I'm relieved to find out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I've continued to hone my research skills as I try to discover the best possible solutions to our societal problems, and it's been pretty rewarding. I followed a pretty similar trajectory to Aaron politically, and I can't thank him enough for introducing me to Vosh, an incredibly knowledgeable and rhetorically gifted YouTuber that advocates for socialism. Doesn't mean that I've moved beyond Swizzbold by any means, and I find Aaron-style debate and persuasion much more applicable to the kinds of discussions I'd actually want to have with my friends and family. And I'll I'll be the first to say it's fine to outgrow uh, me because I don't like I said I, I don't I don't I don't think I have a monopoly on the truth. Um, you know, I, I try to think through my positions and whatnot, but I've always thought that I would kind of be waypoints for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Like you know, move and when and once once you kind of convinced that like uh, something else is wrong in this this constellation of things that are mostly true which is the one that 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 meets you know that 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 sounds good and and bears up to your own research and lived experiences and that's probably not going to be me in all the uh, in, in all cases speaking of which shortly after i started emailing with my dad i finally got the courage to tell him and mom that i was no longer a believer and planned on pursuing a more secular lifestyle I wouldn't describe them as supportive, but they were more understanding than I expected. Oh, that's a relief. Yeah. I was really biting my. I was really like uh, hanging on the edge there. I think Shum though, because he's he's been been uh, listening for a while, and uh, he knows how things went for me. So it doesn't always go that way. But honestly, I think that's the more likely experience. It's a pretty hardcore person to shit on your kids um, for for essentially spiritual, intellectual, philosophical reasons, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, and I think it's actually improved their relationship because I can finally be completely honest with them. I haven't told this to too many other people besides my liberal friend group. But I had a really good talk with one of my cousins last week after he expressed some doubts he was having about the church. I tried my best to make those seeds of doubt grow, and thus the cycle continues. Thanks to you both again for your advice. I'm so much happier and more fulfilled than I was this time last year. I've been swearing more. (laughs) I've had my first alcoholic drink last March, and I probably would have touched my first boob by now if it wasn't for COVID. Oh, well, maybe next year. A great goal, my friend. Yes. Touching boobs. It's pretty good. It's pretty nice. It's all right. Um, Congratulations, man. That's a lot of um, personal progress, and it's a lot of bravery. Um, and you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 um, the, 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 the one thing I guess I'd caution is, uh, it's, it's, it's not all it's maybe life isn't always going to be this free and fun. Uh, there, there will be hard times, but you know, uh, you can face hard times on a secular platform just as well as you can on a religious platform. Mm -hmm. I do believe that that's one of the, the core weird tricks that I, that I believe in. So I just, I, I'm really overwhelmed. Uh, this email is is great. It's uh, yeah, we're 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 very proud of you. Um, I would also urge some caution because not all boobs are great. <laughs> wait, <laughs> some no, wait of them, some of them are traps that'll lead you to making bad decisions. Oh, some boobs are attached to bad people. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. All right, all boobs are good. Some of them are attached to bad people. So yeah, you gotta watch. You gotta Be careful. Watch. So I say nothing about those dicks. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those attached to real pieces of work. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, let me tell you. Yeah. And the ass always gets you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> just, 
Big button smile. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That shit is poison. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't have anything to add. This was, I think it was very specifically directed to you. I was never really uh, had that same experience. You know, I, I messed around with church when I was a kid, but it was more out of curiosity. And my parents never, uh, you know, tried to, I was very lucky. My parents never... <laughs> despite all the bad things they did do never tried to influence me either way on you know religious beliefs and how to feel about death and to teach you all this fear look at all this epistemological privilege that cecily's flaunting just it's it's really it's really gross isn't it folks when you when you see someone just completely (laughs) it's really gross but don't worry i'm (laughs) fucked up in so many other ways that it's it's fine (laughs) Well, yeah, that's that's all I've got. You have anything more for Shum? No, I'm very I'm very pleased that it's worked out and it's led to a lot of good outcomes. And you seem like you have a really good system on evaluating information, and you're being very being very rigorous about it. And I guess uh, the only thing is, uh, data challenges in life don't ever stop. Don't ever <laughs> stop. And the stuff that confirms your newly held beliefs, doubt that twice as hard as the stuff that contradicts it, because if you do that, that's that's how you can keep yourself intellectually honest. Yeah. All right. And again, thank you. We love it when people send us updates um, as much as we love new pieces of feedback. So please don't feel shy about updating us on any of the situations you are all facing and how they've worked out. And especially how our one weird tricks have helped you navigate those situations. And if there's anything we can you know, yeah. do better or learn from. We don't, we have any pre. We don't, we don't, uh, there are no prejudice here. New weird tricks, old weird tricks. As long as they're one weird tricks, we love them all. <laughs> yep. Uh, if you send more than one, you'll be insta banned. <laughs> <laughs> Two weird tricks. Are we talking, are no. we kidding here? God damn. Yeah, even I, even I, libertine secularists have to draw the line somewhere when it comes to, in terms of human behaviors. Uh, and that is your collective responsibility this week. Aaron will be back next week for another three right turns. And we will together be back in two weeks for more weird tricks. If you need advice or weird tricks, you can email us at owtswizbold.com. You can also find us on all of the social medias at Swizbold. The holidays are coming up, so treat the people in your life to some cool stuff from our merch store. Merch.swizbold.com. Aaron, Jim, and I need and appreciate the support of people like you on Patreon. You can become a patron if you're not already at patreon.com slash swizzbold. Right now, I want to especially thank our Fred Level patrons by name, Lori Luthi, Brandon Navito, Jenny, Mark Hahn, Lisa Singleton, Greg Rasp, James Taylor, Byron Rasmussen, George P. Burdell, Angelo Murano, Jared Harrellman, Kira Grusho, Arvind Rao, Jordan Hoyt, Dave Satterley, thank you all so much for supporting us. And our friends at the MacArthur Foundation. (laughs) (laughs) Again, patreon.com slash swizzbold. If you want to support us and hear your sexy name roll off of my awkward tongue. (laughs) Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. 